This message was recorded at North 2011, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. I said to uh, I said to Tony, I'd like to uh, just nip out to the toilet, just to uh, run away really after that build-up. It's uh, great to be with you and... Uh, can I just say, having just done the uh, southwest down in Exeter, you guys are hardcore campers. <laughs> you really are. I cannot believe it. I mean, when the ladies at West Point get out of their cars, they're wearing little high heels, dinky sandals. You ladies, you get out Wellington boots. Absolutely fetching. I, I, am, I am sitting down there last night. I have a body warmer on, a jumper, a t-shirt, a shirt, a coat. Terry's looking along going, you're a wuss. I'm sitting next to Tony, Jeremy, t-shirts. I mean, I, at West Point, we get nice lane badges. On Here, you get these things around around your wrist you can't take off and what what is this someone told me if you get medivaced out of here and you end up in hospital they look at the name go north and they put you straight into the oven warm you up it's quite handy you know the other thing which is hardcore was the worship leader matt Weedle. incredible great worship leader actually i enjoyed the couple this morning as well outstanding but, uh, I mean, he is brave, isn't he? I mean, last night, we start hearing the pitter-patter on the ring, and what does he sing? Let it rain! <laughs> I mean, without a word of a lie, my committee down in the southwest would have taken him outside and killed him. <laughs> he would. You'd be going every year to West Point, there's the gravestone, bless him, yeah, wrong song. But Matt, straight in there, I love it. I love your faith, I love your enthusiasm uh, and mud. <laughs> Never ever have I been so underdressed to preach. Now, you don't know me, so let me just introduce myself. Guy Miller is married to Heather Miller. Uh, we will celebrate next year 30 years of marriage. Now, I know I don't look old enough. Uh, Heather's a cradle snatcher. I... I first set eyes on her when she was 15 years old. Heather said I stalked her. I don't think that's quite right. We started going out when we were 16 years old. Went out with each other for five years. At the age of 21, we got married. And uh, it was a uh, wonderful day. I remember my wedding day like it was yesterday. And uh, everyone said on my wedding day, when uh, Heather was late, which tends to be the way, doesn't it? I'm standing at the front of the uh, church, I'm, I'm a little nervous, and uh, suddenly the music strikes up, I look round, and there's my glorious, beautiful wife walking down, exquisite. And my, apparently my jaw, jaw dropped to the floor, 
And a great big smile came across my face, and it was, yes! In fact, just to let you into a secret, she's the only girlfriend I've ever had. Amazing, isn't it? She had a boyfriend before me, but we don't talk about it very often. He's a new, he's a new frontiers pastor, maybe even worse. But praise God, Terry sent him to France where he can stay. You know, when, um, occasionally, do you know what it's like sometimes when you're, 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 you're somewhere where you're, you're away from your wife and you're not expecting your wife to be there? Uh, I have it occasionally, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm ministering, I'm serving somewhere, and suddenly Heather comes into the room. And uh, years have changed Heather. So, you know, things happen, don't they, when you get a slight older? She's got more beautiful. I don't know what you lot are thinking of. I mean, she just... But, but I tell you, yeah, just about to blow my foot off, Tony says. No, that's all right. The women were like this. Every time Heather does that, I look across the room and see her. My heart misses a beat. I'm absolutely smitten after all these years. And I can't believe I got the bride. Do you know, I say that to get all the women on side, <laughs> partly, but also because in a room like this, there will be critics of the local church, which is the bride of Christ. And I just want to say, working in India, working in Spain, Portugal, UK, serving local churches, I know she has many critics. But I want to say that she has no equals. She is exquisite. When she is working well as God intended to be, when she's connected to its head, the local church is the hope for the world. It is the most beautiful thing. Nothing, there's no power on earth that can match what the local church can deliver to the broken, to the down and out, to the lost. It is quite breathtaking and beautiful, the local church. I am in love with the local church. When, when Jeremy says, I want to plant more churches, I'm just there saying, you bet we do. Because the local church is the hope for our nation. And we need hundreds, we need thousands of these local churches, expressions of God, the places where the temple is now on the street, the places where people can encounter the church. And I want to encourage you tonight, because what I, will, what I want to do is I want to build to the, the, the final appeal that tonight is going to be, actually, wherever you are, be all there. If you are part of a local church and you've recently planted, or you're off to Vancouver, wherever you are, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord in the local church. But I do believe, and what, what Jeremy was encouraging me to do, is I do believe God will call people tonight to go. That may be to your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or your ends of the earth. I'm so moved, because I've done a few of these, these events myself, when little children hear the call of God at the age of 8, 9, 10, and responding, saying, God's spoken to me, and I want to go to China. I want to go to the 1040 window. I want to go just down the road and plant a church at the next village. 
I believe tonight God wants to call many out into a great adventure. And so I just want to pray and then we're going to get into uh, the message I've prepared for tonight. And uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us that first love. Our great desire is for the bridegroom. We love you, Jesus, totally and utterly smitten. You're everything to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you're coming back for a glorious bride, a fat bride, a beautiful bride, a bride that is white and dress ready, a bride that is made up from every tribe and nation and tongue. And I thank you tonight, we can usher in that day, we can speed that day by responding to what the Spirit says to the church tonight. I pray, Lord, let our hearts be fertile soil for this word and let it bear a harvest, a harvest of righteousness in our own lives, but a harvest of souls right across to the ends of the earth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'd like you to turn, if you would, to uh, Luke's Gospel. I want to look at Jesus. Uh, sending out the 72, I want to take some uh, lessons from this and uh, hopefully help you in how you can prepare where you are in terms of giving yourself to the work of the Lord there or for many of us, how we can prepare ourselves to go as God would send us. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, could you jump with me uh, to verse 38 of the same chapter? As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I was going to use the PowerPoint. I tried a PowerPoint last week, and it all went wrong, and that distracted everybody, so I'm not going to use a PowerPoint. I'm just going to, each of the points I'm going to make have got a T and a C in it, Uh, so that you can uh, try and write some notes and alliterate. Um, The first is this, and I want to start where we've just finished with the the home of Martha and Mary. If we are to go as God commissions us to go, we need tender consciences. 
We need to be tender to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I, like you, read this passage and have immense sympathy with Martha. I cannot imagine, as Jesus sends out the 72, this is a group of hairy, full-grown, sweating men. I cannot imagine, think of it, 72, perhaps more, because there'll be others in that party, arriving at a home, piling through the front door. Hey, I'll have a coffee, I'll have a tea. Where's the toilet? What you got in the fridge? I cannot imagine somebody so big-hearted to say, come on in and, and just make yourself at home. This is an amazing woman. She is an amazing woman, as the Scriptures reveal. And you know and I know, when we are busy, there is nothing that irritates us more than somebody who is sitting. Do you know what that is? I mean, if my wife is hoovering, and I'm sitting on the sofa reading the sports pages, I get the sort of busyness... Fold up the paper, try and look busy. Heather's, Heather's around. Now, I can't, I can't imagine as Martha is sort of going past the door with all the plates and Mary's there going, <laughs> sitting at Jesus' feet. Oh, tell me, tell me that again, Jesus. I can't imagine how Martha keeps a, a lid on it. I mean, it, 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 you know, just, God, it got my goat, it would have really done. And yet, Martha receives a loving rebuke from Jesus. Because she's getting her priorities all wrong. She's getting her focus all wrong. Actually, she's thinking about all the work. How are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to water all these people? Here's someone who can, who can take a few loaves of bread and, make, and feed 4,000, 5,000. And I, I want to say this because I, I believe this is so relevant for many of us, particularly those of us who have been in ministry, we can, we can be like busy bees. We've got churches to run, we've got cell groups to organise, we've got youth leaders, we've got discipleship, we've got the prayer. We've got all this on and we're like bumblebees in a jam jar. We're flying around, bang, bang, bang. And someone says, uh, you know, shouldn't we pray about this? Or somebody's sitting there praying. And we're running around trying to organise the meeting. Someone's just praying. Seem to be in the presence of God. It, just, it can be irritating, quite frankly. But in all seriousness, if we are to engage in world mission, our priority is worship. It's not because John Piper, as he was quoted last night, says mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission is the ultimate uh, we, we often think of mission as being the ultimate goal of the church. It's not. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. We are called to worship him. We will never get a big world vision if we never have a big vision of God. And therefore we must prioritise, and it's been lovely to be in North because this is exactly what happens. Jeremy keeps pressing in. He keeps pushing things back. No, we need to press into God. We need to hear what God's saying. And I just want to say that uh, I know what it is like to get tired and frustrated and Martha-like in my spirit instead of finding God and sitting at his feet and hearing him.
That's our priority. I was out in Portugal a few years ago, and Mike Shaw took Mike Shaw, who pastors one of the churches out there, took me up into the mountains. He says, This is where I come to meet with God. And it's gorgeous. He said, I just wander over the mountains and I worship and I sing songs. And you know, I'd just come back from India. I'd just come back from being in Mumbai, 40 degree heat, sweating, in, with leaders' meetings which were just barking mad. And I've got this man standing next to me, sort of almost like Julie Andrews, like, climb every mountain. And I'm thinking, everyone's a fruit and nut. I was, I was back in the India thing, feeling, oh, nice for you. You should try my job. And I felt the Holy Spirit really rebuke me. Because we can get very proud of our ulcers. But God isn't impressed. God wants us to know what it is to delight ourselves in Him first. Pastors, leaders, evangelists, can I just challenge you? I, I see this, and it, might, it probably isn't the case in the north, but I'll share what happens in the south. Studies have become offices. Studies where pastors need to go to meet God, to pray, to intercede, to, to read the Word, and to, yeah, there's concordances and other things that we we love to read, have become filled with gadgetry. You've got your iPhone, you've got your phone, you've got your, your little computer, your apples if you're posh, you've got all this stuff and, and it's all blinging and pinging and whistling at you. You pray for two minutes and it's beep, beep, and it's, I must just check who that is. We don't get into the presence of God. We don't have time to linger in the presence of God because there are voices that are demanding our attention and we feel we, we feel we're, we're getting agitated. We've got to get and see what's happening. We need to get to those solitary places. All of us. But pastors particularly, I want to just challenge you with that. And you need to enter consciences to do that. We want to please Jesus. We want to get a big vision of God. And so often, because we're so busy, our vision becomes smaller and smaller, our God becomes smaller and smaller, until he's eventually like a God on our side, instead of us being caught up in his majestic beauty and his purposes. Can I say as well, you need a tender conscience if you are going to receive a sense of God calling you tonight. It's often God speaks at moments like this in a still, small voice. Jeremy was very kind in his introduction and, you know, I want to thunder out tonight a call to the nations, to the unreached people groups of the world. We need to get there in our day, in our time. We need to go. But I know this, it's often just the Holy Spirit coming alongside and us thinking it can't be me, disqualifying ourselves. And the Holy Spirit just touches us on our shoulder and says, that's you. You know, and Andrew and Lucy, when they're just standing here, Met with God, yeah, that's, we can do that. A recent Sarah, those who spoke with them, majestic. I believe tonight, if you keep your ear heavenward, I believe for many it will be a life which will change us. Mary, Jesus said, chose what is better. She chose wisely. May God grant us to do so 
tonight. The next TC I want to just mention is uh, it's a time for change. Jesus says, as he looks out, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. That is a perennial challenge for every generation. God is at work in the nations of the world and and, and nations or, or people groups or areas come right for a move of God, for a reaping move of the Holy Spirit and, and we need to be in tune, we need to have tender conscience to hear what God is saying but we need to recognise God saying, now is the time, now go. The time is now, go. And now, I'm sure the disciples would say, it looks, these people look the same. Same towns, places we grew up with, we know these folks, it's the same. And yet, Jesus understands God's timing. He is the perfect timekeeper. I love it when you get to the very last uh, book of the Bible. Right at the beginning, we we find that Jesus not only creating the world, but sustaining the world, all things through him. Right at the end of the book, he says, I am coming soon. He says it three times in that last chapter. I am coming soon. It's almost like adjust your watches. Don't miss it. Don't be foolish in your day and generation and say, well, maybe it will be another time. Ever wondered if the disciples said, Jesus, look, we know these people, we know these towns, they're not ready. Now, God's alarm bell, often to his church, is the nation around them. He wakens his church at times of great upheaval. And we're living in such times. If you were awake to the, the, the news and the media. The, the, there are questions that are being asked. In one paper just a few weeks ago, the question was asked, where is the church? Why is the church not speaking at a time like this? The nation is being shaken. World events are just massive. And we have heard and we've, we've just dwelt on it as we've been here as, as, the, as the physical world around us, so the spiritual as God sends rains that flood Bournemouth, flood the north, and we, we're just amazed walking around in mud, God tells us that he's making something. He, he's malleable, shaping something wonderful. He's throwing us on his potter's wheel. He's moulding us into great usefulness for his purposes. The New Day people, these young people, as they, they meet in their thousands and encounter God. You're the God of this city. You're the God of these nations. As they're leaving New Day. It seems that the very young people, their peers, are pouring out in the streets of Tottenham and all around the nation, causing fires and, and causing all kinds of disruption. And it's God almost saying to us, you know, as the, as the natural, there are a group of young people who have no hope, no hope at all. And here's a group of young people encountering me who are coming out and saying, we know why we are alive. We can change our nation. We can change society. There is an alarm bell ringing, I believe, with all my heart in this nation. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to find its voice. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to take centre stage, to stop being apologetic, to stop being part of the silent majority and to stand out into the minority, to stand up to be counted, to stand up and declare fearlessly as we, as we should, there is a God in heaven. 
And he has given his one and only son, the Lord Jesus. There is no other name by which men can be saved. And call a nation to turn around. Call a nation to repent and to believe the gospel. Can I remind you Mordecai's advice to Esther? She says, I'm in a safe house. (laughs) There's no safe houses in our nation. There's no safe houses in the nations of the world. We've grown up a little bit closeted in this nation. Go to India and you find that out. His words to her, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance of the Jews will arise. They will come from another place. But you and your family, you'll perish. You know, it's a, it's a time thing tonight, I believe with all my heart. I believe there's a timing in God tonight that I'm here. I believe there's a timing when God is saying to you in the north, this is your day. This is your day. This is your moment. Not to come to an event and say, wow, we encountered God, wasn't it wonderful? But actually as you go, to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, to plant churches and to see the nation change because you have encountered the living God. It's time. The next TC is team commitment. Don't miss this, because this might seem incredibly obvious, but it is incredibly hard to do. Jesus sent out the 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. How did Jesus do this? I love narrative, because you have to try and get in to try and work out. How did... How did Jesus, he'd sent out the twelve, now he's sending out the seven. How did he, how did he, which two is going with, which one's going with him? Sons of thunder, I'm splitting you up. What? Too much damage, too much fire damage. You're going to go with him, you're going to go with, oh. Peter, I'd like you to take Judas. Judas. But Jesus, every time I go with Judas, things go missing. Do you know what I mean? Jesus says, take no purse with you. Peter's going, like it, like it, Jesus. Good idea. I don't know if, I don't know if Andrew or, or one of those guys, the ones who sort of find the little kid with the loaves and fish, I don't know if they say, I'm better on my own without these Herberts. They're going to slow me up, to be honest. I'm quite fast. You don't want to be held back. I know that spirit exists in our nation. Jesus, though, will not allow it. He will build teams. Two are better than one. It is not good for man to be alone. Praise God he said that and created woman. Created families in teams. God, the God we worship is in a team. A wonderful team, wonderful, happy team. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit who commissions us in teams to go out and change our world. And Jesus builds these people together in teams. It's the most basic of instructions and yet needs a wholehearted faith commitment if we are truly to build churches which change our communities. If we're truly to build churches which grow larger beyond the 50 or 70 and into the hundreds, no, even into the thousands, we need to build big teams, large teams, massive teams, men and women in teams. 
And I hear this again and again. I had it when I went to India. Team doesn't work over here. It's much easier to do church with me on my own. One man ministry. I believe it's one of the biggest obstacles in our nation that is holding the church back from growing and expanding and touching and changing towns after town, city after city. I'm here to, I believe, unlock churches to growth potential. Unlocking apostolic ministry from one person into the multiplied many. There are hard things that need to be said. But I want to just challenge us tonight. Do you know, I want to speak again to those, anyone in here who's in leadership. I, I see this particularly in our men. I see a, a Christian niceness. As if that is our highest calling, to be nice. Oh, he's so nice. Guy, he's such a nice man. He didn't say anything offending. I felt I was being stroked like a cat. It's just wonderful. A.W. Tozer, church leaders and leaders hear this, the desire to be liked, even if not respected, is a great weakness in any man's character. And in that of a minister of Jesus Christ, it is a weakness utterly inexcusable. The popular image of the man of God as a smiling, congenial, asexual, religious mascot whose handshake is always soft and whose head is always bobbing is not the image to be found in the scriptures of truth. Some things, he says, are not negotiable. I want to encourage men, lead your home, lead your family. Don't leave the spiritual stuff to your wife. You lead. You pray with your children. You pray with your wife. You get up early. Those of us involved in churches, we need to say some hard things. We're going to get our churches mobilized. We're going to release our churches. It can't just be the one. It can't just be one man ministry and that's his ministry, that's her ministry and I don't want to offend them because, well, if I say that worship isn't going too well, good grief, you know what worship groups are like? They'll walk out. Well, some of them need a walk out because your greater desire is to please God. Your greater desire is the glory of God. Your greater desire is to build a church full of the whole cross-section of society which touches the towns and cities in which we live. We cannot do that if we are just concerned about pleasing men. We want to please God, don't we? With all our heart we do. So let us, this evening, be committed to team. The church is God's A-team on earth. There is no B-team. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We belong to God. And we are the salt of the earth. We are a city set on a hill. We cannot be withstood because Christ is within us, within us, the hope of glory. And so we need to give ourselves to the local church, to building the local church, to have plurality of elders in the local church. But Jesus said the laborers are few. You know, we often talk about missionaries and getting out there in the mission fields. We want to honor everyone who does that. I tell you, a mission station may be a great foothold in a nation. But it is no substitute for a local church. It is no substitute. We want to plant churches. 
local churches. That's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to change communities. That's going to take finance. Get behind that gift day tomorrow. These are wonderful moments. The world tells us there is a recession out there, and we say, we're choosing not to get involved, thank you very much, because we are in a kingdom that is altogether different. So let us do God, give God pleasure tomorrow as we come to give. I want to say this as well, though. This is uh, perhaps one of the most challenging things I want to say tonight. It would be no good to say to God or say to me, when I'm challenging you, why don't you go to the very ends of the earth for Jesus tonight? Why don't you go? Some of you are sitting comfortable thinking, oh, well, I could go, but I've got no particular call to India, call to Africa. Praise God, I've never had one of those prophetic words. I love my local church. I feel home and comfortable. It's nice. Jesus tells his disciples to go. That's the command of Jesus. Go. So if you're not going to go, you need to have a call of God to stay. Now, we've got it wrong, haven't we? We're thinking, well, I've got a call to go, therefore I'll stay. No, we need a call of God to stay if we're not to go. Because if we're staying, we need to be going in our heart, our attitude, our prayer, our giving, our money. We need to be totally devoted to the local church, not sitting passively, God, we're not doing a good job today, are we? That's the spirit of our age, isn't it? Passive. What's going on? Not very good this morning, not impressive. You're not impressive. You're going to be going. What are you doing sitting? You need to be fully involved in the local church. If you're staying, you need that call of God to stay. You need to be saying as you leave here, tomorrow, whenever you're going, Monday, I'm a person, I'm called to be a perseverer. You see, I really want to say this. We can often think of the missionaries as being the spiritual ones and those who are staying building local churches being a bit sort of lame or tame. That's rubbish. You need faith in both. You need the call of God on both. God is pleased with both. And there's no super spirituality here. It, it doesn't become easier when you go to India to plant a church. You know, oh, it's, it's so much more rewarding in India than it is in Bradford. It isn't. It's the same deal. God wants to call you, some of you, to go to the ends of the earth, some of you, to build and plant churches in the UK. The call of God. And if you're going to do that, you need to be in a team. Now, the, the, the next T is targets in the crosshairs. This is a bit of a long word. I couldn't think of another TC. But I was thinking of... Um, I was thinking of a rifleman, you know, when you watch those sort of fast-moving actions, they've got sort of crosshairs and they pinpoint and they put a little red dot on your head. I, I like those sort of shoot-em-up programs. All the men now like me. <laughs> Matt Damon, Born Identity, yeah, that, that's my sort of film. And Jesus, it's very interesting how he instructs his disciples. It's, just so, it's so refreshing. He says, when you come to a town, when you come to a house... Say the peace, peace to this house, and if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. Jesus isn't saying, 
hear this. Some evangelists need to hear this. He isn't saying, let go with both barrels like a blunderbuss. You know, you, you, you hear some evangelists on street corners. You're all going to hell. Jesus loves you. And everybody's sort of walking past, who, who are they with? What, who, what? Jesus actually says to his disciples, look, understand this, I've already gone ahead of you. I'm sending you out, you look like you're going ahead of me, wrong. I've already gone ahead of you. I've already started to work in somebody's life. All you've got to do is, when it's like a treasure hunt, when you're ringing a doorbell, when you're knocking, you're looking for a man or a woman, because in, in John chapter 4, Jesus, the woman at the well, a woman of peace, God is already beginning something in their life, awakening a spiritual awakeness, a, a sharpness. And God is saying as he sends us out from here, he doesn't want us to go in sort of, well, where on earth do we go? He wants us to be pinpoint accurate, knowing that he's already gone ahead of us. This is how you recognize who they are, Jesus says. They will receive you. If a man of peace is there, stay with him. Say, take a seat, stay overnight, have a, have a meal. You see, what we need to be convinced of, brothers and sisters, is that evangelism isn't about in the head. Evangelism that begins in the head only reaches the head. Evangelism that begins in the heart where we love Jesus and we're just looking for who Jesus is working with and we're talking to everybody and loving everybody and, and changing uh, our office, our workplace and speaking to people. We're just feeling our way where God is working. And I want to tell you this, because it's always good to be honest, I am useless at this. I am so poor, so embarrassing, that I'd almost be embarrassed to tell you what happened with my neighbours. My neighbours leant over the fence. They said to me, Guy, can I ask you a favour? They're lovely. I'm thinking, they're going to borrow my head trimmer. I'm not sure I want to lend them a head stream. It didn't look very good with tools. That's, that's what I'm thinking in my heart. He said to me, is there any chance you could invite me to church? I said, well, that's a hard one, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Why don't you come tomorrow? As it's Saturday, come tomorrow. Can I bring my wife? Well, yeah, go on, bring her as well. <laughs> well, the cheeky monkey, on the first day he comes to church, he responds to the gospel. I almost want to stop him, make sure he knows what he's doing when he's responding and going, forward. Look, look, hang on, hang on. This is an appeal, becoming a Christian. Well, he became a Christian that day. The following Sunday, his wife became a Christian. God, I had to rub my nose in it how poor I am at spotting the signs. They've been longing for us to talk about church and all we've been doing is befriending them and being nice to them. Some of you are good at being nice. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what makes you tick. Tell them about the group of friends you like to hang out with. Please take a risk. Because it's amazing what you'll often find 
is God is at work in them, wanting to save them. Who is open to you? Who is God pinpointing? I, I've tried lots, to be honest. I, I, I try hard at evangelism. Last year, no, year before last, I decided I, I haven't got many non-Christian friends. You know, being a pastor, you tend to make you a bit of a loner, Billy No Mates. And uh, I decided I'd go on, I had a week, one of these things through the post, a week's free uh, joining the gym. That's, that's me, isn't it? You can see the physique. You, I mean, obviously, most of you can see how that would have appealed to me. And so, this is where I will find my oikos. This is where I will find the non-Christians. So I walk in there, greeted by the stick insect behind the counter. She, she needs to come north. <laughs> well, they serve good food, healthy food. Come on, live with me. She, she was like a stick insect. And, 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 and then I go down to get changed in the men's changing rooms and find that all the men are walking around with no clothes on. And they've all got muscles on their muscles. And I'm down to my T-shirt, my towel. And then I think, this isn't for me. <laughs> what have I got in common? Nothing. Do you know? Do you know where I fit? Right where we live is the biggest area of heroin. One of the biggest areas in the south of England of heroin addiction, broken families. I can go and sit on the streets of Boscombe. I can talk to anybody, and they'll tell me their life story. And I tell you this: within five or ten minutes, I can just be talking about Jesus. Not because I'm brilliant evangelistically, just because people are hurting. People have got pains. They're out of hospital. They've got broken families. And they love someone who says, do you, mind if I, do you mind if I pray with you? Do you know my wife was sharing this afternoon and she's involved in, in trying to rescue prostitutes off the streets of Bournemouth. And uh, do you know what they do? They don't go out there with a brilliant devised evangelistic plan. They go out there looking for who God is already working. And many of these girls have already had a Sunday school upbringing. They've had Christians who have befriended them or perhaps helped them. God has already begun a work in them. And they reach out to them. They say, do you mind if we pray with you? And nine times out of ten, the girls will say, I'd love you to pray with me. My brothers and sisters in this place, let us go with a sense of purpose. Let us go to our neighbors. You're living by God's appointment where you live. He's appointed that by his divine decree. And that means your neighbors, that means the people you work with in schools, God wants you to believe him. He is at work in their lives. And you have the good news to tell them. He wants to use you. And if you're looking in the wrong places, if you are actually witnessing to the wrong people, I really want to challenge that. I believe our biggest harvest fields are amongst the poor. I believe too often we're impressed with rich young rulers, so impressed with them we give them positions in the local church particularly financial positions, and finance can be the sort of restricting factor on the church. We've become middle class, we've become comfortable, and we don't get out into the highways and byways. Have you been out in the highways and byways? Get out there, it's great. 
There are people out there who want to talk. And they want to hear some truth. And God has put it within us. George Whitfield said this, Finding the pulpits are denied me, and the poor colliers are ready to perish for lack of knowledge. I went to them and preached on a mount of upwards 200 people. He said this, Blessed be God, the ice has been broken, and I have taken the field. Some of us need to take the field. Take the field in the next town we live next to. Take the field into the, a nation God is calling us. Take the field in our office and saying, standing up for Jesus. You know, the next time he preached at Kingswood College, 10,000 miners gathered to hear him preach the gospel. Every single one of us can be used by God to take in this massive harvest he wants to give us. We need, well, next, finally, or next to finally, whatever that is, penultimately, a total commitment to Jesus' methodology. Now, this is fascinating when you look at what Jesus tells them to do, because actually we can write books, and yet in a couple of verses, Jesus can spell it out. First, he says this, eat what is set before you. <laughs> That's a huge one, isn't it? Fussy eating is out if you're in the kingdom of God. It is. Sorry, I'm a vegetarian. Sorry, I don't eat meat. Sorry, I don't eat, I don't like cheese. Do you know, it's the best way of offending people in their home by not eating the food. Go to India, food is their life, their culture, their, their, their aromatic, spicy curries. It's beautiful. But I've been, I've seen people who, no, I just eat Mars bars, don't eat that stuff, don't eat that stuff. <laughs> spicy. Do you want to offend people? Do you want to build a bridge? Eat whatever's been put before you, says Jesus. Then he says this, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Well, that's, not very, that's a bit brief, Jesus. Can we have a sermon on healing? Can you explain what we... No, heal the sick. That's... Quite challenging, isn't it? Go out onto the highways and byways. Go to the man of peace and lay hands on them in Jesus' name and heal the sick. And tell them, he says, the kingdom of God is near you. Tell them that God has set in Zion his king. Tell them there's a king who rules over all. Tell them that the, that the good news of the gospel there is a king and there is a rule and a reign that is breaking in upon this world. We need a wholehearted commitment in this day to the Word of God. We need a wholehearted commitment to the Gospel. We haven't got to apologize for the Gospel. We haven't got to somehow sort of think of making the Gospel more attractive. I tell you, there are people who are working hard at cutting off the both ends of the Gospel, cutting off Genesis... Can we really believe that stuff? Cutting off heaven and hell, cutting off hell anyway, at the end of the Bible, that's just not going to go down too well. That's not politically correct. Let's see if we can make the gospel slightly more user-friendly. I tell you, it, it will not work. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. 
We need to tell the whole story. Systematic theology, you see, it can cut up and, and we can get it used to thinking, well, that doesn't quite fit, that doesn't quite fit, and have our systems. We need to tell the whole beautiful, glorious story that it was lost in, in the first garden as Adam blew it, as mankind was plunged into sin. We want to tell them the whole narrative of the law as it came and, and man's continued rebellion and God's purposes to have a people for himself. And then we can tell about the second Adam who left the glory of heaven, who became a man, who lived amongst us, showed us what God was like and yet set his face like flint towards the cross, was crucified, dead and buried. But Christ was raised from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and rules and reigns over all the world and gives new life to whoever calls on his name. We have a gospel to preach. And God give his church a voice to boldly proclaim it, as we should. It is timeless and changeless, yet always contemporary. And we must speak it out. I tell you, there are people who need a fresh commitment to the gospel. You know, Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone believes. Why did he say that? Because actually if there was no chance of Christians being ashamed, he wouldn't have written it. But there are moments. You know, again, it's good to be honest. And I'm, just, I'm being honest because I want to encourage you with all my heart to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, to building the local church, to preaching the gospel, to going to the ends of the earth. I was in a paper shop some years ago and... And there was awful things going on. And the person in front of me said to the lady of the counter, he, he said, my goodness, what is going wrong with the world? And they, he turned to look at me. The shopkeeper looked at me. And you know what I did? I went... <laughs> I chickened out. I was ashamed of the gospel. I, I, what would people think of me? I, I went home and repented. I said, God, give me another chance. Praise God, he always gives us another chance. But I want to say this. My granddad died some years ago. And my, grand, my granddad hated Christians. He, he would say things like, Hitler didn't go far enough with the Jews. He was... He was a racist. He, he was a God-hater. He said, don't you ever mention the name of Jesus in my house when he heard I became a Christian. He, he, he opposed me and he was dying. And my grandma rang me up and she said, I'd like you to come and see your granddad before he dies. I arrived at the hospital. The nurse said to me, he's got literally probably an hour to live and he can hear you, he can understand you, but he can't speak. And so... I mean, it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? I went into that room, and I tell you, at that moment, I thought, do I really believe in hell? Because if I do, this man has seconds, minutes before he will go there. And in that moment, I felt God's huge compassion. I reached out to him, I said, Granddad, you haven't got long. 
And I just want to tell you, turn to God. I wasn't clever with words. I prayed for him with my heart. I said, God, please soften his heart at this moment. My friends, it is important what we believe. So important what we believe. We need a total commitment in days in which we're living to the gospel. Now we need a commitment too to mission to the ends of the earth. Not tourism. The USA spends $1.6 billion a year on missions that are two weeks or under. I meet Christians in our nation who almost get this Christian tourist thing, sort of saying, oh, I felt God's call for the nations. I went over there for two weeks, and yeah, we were able to do a bit of this, a bit of that. Bless them. Got out of my system. That's not mission. Some people talk about mission just in, in a social action way. People want to go to the nations without the gospel. Want to do some caring, which is all great and wonderful, but actually you can't divorce care for the poor from the gospel. They go hand in hand. But here's my challenge, and this is what I really have been praying for a long time about. Mission has lost its focus to reach the unreached. Tonight, I want to really, really challenge you. This is a statistic you didn't hear. Over 40% of churches' global mission resources, people and money, is going currently to the 10 most saturated Christian countries of the world. 40%, nearly half of all the money and people that are going on mission are going to the countries where the church is doing well, where there are many, many churches, church in every corner, huge populations of Christians, and yet the unreached are not even coming up on their agenda. The majority of missionaries in the world today are working where strong local churches exist. But when we look at the 1040 window, that area that goes through North Africa, into Pakistan, Iran, into Northern India, into that area there, there are 4.5 billion people who live in there. 6,000 people groups who have no known Christians amongst them. That equates to 50 megacities, 50 megacities, 50 cities, over a million people with no known Christians in them. We want to say, we want to serve God, we want to change the world, we want to change the nation, we want to go. I tell you, we need to go where the gospel has not been preached. We want to go where Christ has not been named. And we want to go fearlessly in the power of Christ. We want to see local churches. That's what I want to see on North. That's what I want to see on West Point. I want to see a, a guy who's from a Hindu background, from an Arab background. Do you know the, the biggest people group, the nation which has the most unreached people groups in the world? India. 1.1 billion people. 
God is at work in India, but he's raising up people. You can go to India, brothers and sisters, you can go to India because you speak English and you can be a massive, massive blessing. It can be a springboard to the very unreached tribes and peoples of the world. And then I want to conclude with this. Trouble is certain. I would not be honest when Jesus actually says this. He said, I... I saw Satan fall like lightning when the disciples came back and said, wow, isn't it great? Lord, even the demons submit to us. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. If we tonight, if you tonight respond to God, if you tonight feeling the promptings of the Holy Spirit says, I want to go to, I want to, go to Vancouver, I want to go to the unreached people groups, I want to go to the next church plant, I tell you, engage immediately or hell is broken loose against you. You will encounter opposition from the word go. Because it's a spiritual battle. God, Satan wants you to stay comfortable and relaxed and have a good evening and have a good time. He doesn't want you responding at moments of, of, of his Holy Spirit's prompting to say, Hey Jesus, I don't know what it means, but I'm, I'm going. I'll take a risk. You know, in the, we, Heather and I, we do it the southwest coast path, walking every year. We do 70 miles a year over four or five days, and we try and do the whole thing. We went to North Cornwall, and there was a little lifeboat museum and a little bit of narrative there. And they talk about the famous storm, the famous storm where boats were being lost, and the seas, the lifeboat had never ever seen seas like it. And, and apparently, one young sailor says. We can't go out in this. We might never come back. And the captain of that lifeboat says, we don't need to come back. But we're called to go out in this. You don't need to come back. But we are called to go. Jim Elliot said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I stood in Westminster Chapel, sat in Westminster Chapel and heard the heavenly man as he shared his story in China, how he was in prison, how he was beaten, how he was threatened with his life and how he was calling the Christians of China to work towards the 1040 window, to go on the old silk trade route. And he said, quite humorously really, it's so provoking. He said, what, what can they do to us? Put us in prison, done that. Beat us to an inch of our life, had that. Kill us. And then we're face to face with our wonderful Jesus. He said, it's win-win every way you look at it. I was so provoked. I'd be thinking, loss, loss. But we need to be reminded that Jesus said, whoever loses his life, finds it. In 1924, a man called John G. Patton felt God's call to go out into the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. He married a woman uh, just a year before he left, Mary Robson, and they arrived and started evangelizing. Nothing much happening. A year later, had a baby boy. And a year after that, Mary died. Three months after that, the baby died. And when he writes about his story, how he persevered through, how he saw God answering his prayer, people being saved, when he was asked, how did you persevere? 
through all this, what sustained you? He said it was his wife's words on her deathbed. She says, I do not regret leaving home or friends. If I had to do it over again, I would. But with more pleasure. Yes, with all my heart. I really feel in my spirit God wants to call many of you into this great adventure of going excitement of going to the next place into your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria but some of you to the ends of the earth it may take a year, two years, three years, four years for you to be prepared and to go to learn language but I believe God tonight by his spirit is drawing us and I want to finish by saying this I had a prophetic word, I haven't had time to share it I'll share it now I share it in the, in the light of Ginny actually encouraging me just before we started worshipping tonight with a word talking about taking off. And I want you to listen to this because it affects every one of you. I saw God here at North building a massive, massive runway. I felt God saying it's not a little provincial airport, not a little few Cessnas to take off, not some back little thing that I'm doing here, I am building an international airport in the north. This is going to grow in massive size, in numbers. It's going to grow to the thousand, three, four, five thousand. It's going to have an influence. It's going to have a name. It's going to have a reputation. But it's going to become massive because big aircraft, 747 aircraft are going to come and they're going to go. You will receive apostolic ministry from around the world will come and address you from the platforms such as this. But God will also release men like Jeremy and others who will take off into the air, into the nations of the earth with hundreds of people being released and scattered right to the very ends of the earth. You have not dreamt big enough. This event is going to grow and grow and needs your wholehearted devotion to see the purposes and plans God has for it. And tonight there's going to be the first seeds, the first fruits of that happening. And you need to give yourself fully to this incredible work that God is beginning. I'd like um, the worship group to come up. I'd like us to stand. I'd like to pray. And after the worship band have played a a music song, some song that just inspires us in terms of our wholehearted devotion to Jesus, our love for Him. I'd like just to bring some specific appeals for individuals and for groups in this room to respond to. But before I do that, I'd just love us just to worship the King, to give Him our adoration, and uh, just to wait on Him. Let's just be in the Spirit. Let me pray. Lord Jesus... I believe moments like this can change a life. A heart change in this room can change a town, can change a county, can change a nation, Lord. I pray for tender consciences. I pray for wholehearted devotion. I pray tonight, God, you would speak to people about going about being part of the great adventure, about building incredible communities in towns and cities across the north and in the nations. 
But Lord, a multiplier, a multiplied, a multiplied effectiveness right across the world, right across the north, but Lord, into the nations. I want to ask you for tender consciences, Lord, for men and women, young men, young women in this place, to hear the word of the Lord and to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. So in this worship song, Lord, I pray, just would you, Spirit, hover over us. May we not be distracted. May the, the enemy not snatch these seeds from our heart. But Lord, just prepare our hearts to receive your word that we might bear fruit for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift our hands before the King. Some of you men and women in your 50s, your 60s, you're thinking of winding down. God says, no, I'm winding you up. I've really wound you up tonight. I've wound you up for mission. I've wound you up for purpose. I want some of you, men like uh, Arnold Bell, uh, teachers, people who are incredible Bible teachers, I want you to realize you can do great good here, but you can grow great, great good abroad. Where it's an inch deep, a mile wide, you can make it a mile deep with your gift. I believe there's a mobility that God wants to give you guys and women who are thinking, I've got my pension plans, I've got my safety route. I believe God says, no, I want you to go. I want to send you in the power of my spirit to the very ends of the earth. You can make such a difference. I want to speak. I believe God wants you to speak to the young people. Young people who are having families, thinking I've got my career path. God says, I'm just tearing it up. What would you rather do? Would you rather just play it safe or would you rather take the great adventure? I'm leading you tonight on a great, marvellous adventure. Some of you I'm calling. I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you into Catholic Europe. I'm calling you into South America. I'm calling you into parts of India where the gospel has never been heard. I'm softening your hearts tonight. Jeremy, God would say to you, I want your radar to be wide open. I want you to release a whole host of people, a whole host of starlings. A whole host of them, not one or two. Whether you're thinking church plants, God would say, I'm putting a spirit a spirit of fertility, a spirit of twins on you, where you're thinking one in that city, one church plant, God would say, no, two, go two, go two. I believe God would say to you, Jeremy, and your team that serves you, think Africa, think South America, think China. I've got huge plans for you. This is a runway I'm building for thousands and thousands. It's not a safe place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And those of you who have church planted before, you great warriors, those of you who have gone, those of you who have led, God would say, will you do it again? You want to feel the goosebumps again? Do you want to take the adrenaline again? I believe God wants to speak to you and say, do it. Do it for me. We need hundreds of churches. We want to change the expression of Christianity. We want hundreds and hundreds of churches in the north and God's spirit is blowing on you. His rain is pouring down on you and he's looking for you to offer up your life and say, yes, Lord, use me. If God's speaking to you, what I want you to do is I just want you to step out, not come to the front, just step out into the aisles, 
or into the forward area where people can see you, where you're just responding to the call of God tonight, saying, yes, God, this word has been for me. Come right now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And I believe there's an anointing, an anointing of the Sovereign Lord. Well done. Come on, keep coming out. Keep pushing out. Come on, you 50, 60-year-olds, come out. Come out to the call of God. So I'm leaving behind safe. Don't worry what your wife's saying. Wives, don't worry what your husband's saying. We want to live dangerously, don't we? Some of you who are muzzled, some of you evangelists, perhaps muzzled, you want to play it safe. Come out. Come out. These are times where we need great exploits of faith and God needs to give us our voice back. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you and he's anointing you to preach good news to the poor he's anointing you to go to go to the next town to go to the next nation to go to the very ends of the earth because we are ushering in that final day when we will see Jesus and he will say to us well done good and faithful servants well done and we'll look in his face and we'll it would be just so wonderful we say it was worth it. Not one pound we gave, not one mile we travelled, it was worth it, Jesus. And then we'll enter into the wedding supper of the Lamb. And what joy will be on our faces. Let's just lift our hands. Ministry team, if you want to get around those people who have responded, just come. Lay hands on them, just let them know there's someone standing with them. Spirit of God, I pray, would you come now? Come now, commission. Come now, send Jesus in the power of your Holy Spirit, your word, go. Go. Tell them the harvest is plentiful. Remind them the laborers are few. And Lord, send them. Send them in the power of your Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of God do a mighty, mighty work in this place. Strengthen those weak limbs, Lord. Put a passion for your name in our hearts. Lord, for all of us, every single one of us, I pray we would be all there in the local church. I pray, Father, none of us excluded tonight. We want to be all out for Jesus. We want to build local churches full of your glory full of your presence, full of passion and and zeal for the name of Jesus. And I pray for every single one of us in this place, Lord, put a passion for the church, our first love, restore it if it's grown dim. May red-hot faith be in our hearts when we leave this place in a few days to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Glorify your name. Glorify your name, Father. Glorify your name, Jesus. Glorify his name, Holy Spirit. We want to give ourselves fully to your work in Jesus' name. Now we're going to minister, we're going to pray. It'd be great if the worship group can just be quietly playing behind me just as we do that. Let's not rush away from this place. God is in this place. Lives are being changed. Nations will hear about tonight because we've heard from the living God. Amen.